Colossians chapter 3. If you do have a, a Bible with you, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6 because we're going to read a few verses. And so what I want to look at this meeting this morning is something that, that comes about every three months. Um, some of you might guess, well, it's communion. No, well, we do do that every three months. No, it's the, it's the quarterly business meeting. And we're going to look at just a simple topic of how we can love church business meetings. Now, I started thinking about growing up, and I could never remember um, anyone, any pastor, ever preaching a sermon about business meetings. And there may very well be a good reason why. And I may find out after this, but we're going to, to have a go at it and see what happens. But this really was birthed from um, just from comments from several different people over, um, over a period of time, really several months or maybe even a year. Um, things ranging from, you know, I really don't like to come to business meetings. Or on the other side of things, after coming to a business meeting, I'm not really sure, you know, I want to go back to another business meeting. And honestly, just if I can be honest, um, you know, there's, it's not really something on the calendar that, that I circle and put stars on and get real excited about. You know, here it comes, we're having another church business meeting. So I thought about it, prayed about it, decided to take some time to look into the subject and really want to just talk about the fact, how can we love church business meeting? Can it really be something that we could look forward to, be excited about? And here's the truth that I've arrived at. I really do believe it is possible. Now, let me read for you just a brief story. Acts chapter 6. We're going to read the first seven verses. We'll take a minute to pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in, and we should be finished before noon. Acts chapter 6 says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when they, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set these before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Father, we thank you this morning that we can look at your word, and we ask you to turn our hearts to your word and to the truth that you would have us to know this morning. And we thank you that we have the, the blessing of your word and the gift of your spirit, and that you use them both to teach us um, your people. And we trust you to do that and help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. So my purpose really this morning is to define what is a church business meeting? Can we find an example of them in the Bible? What did they look like in the Bible? And then finally, what we want to arrive at, how in the world can we love business meetings? So the first thing, what is a church business meeting? Believe it or not, it didn't originate um, when um, Baptist churches were founded or any other churches. They actually happened in the Bible um, actually, and we see a lot of them in the book of Acts that we'll look at. But really, a church business meeting is when God's people gather together to discuss and discern what God desires for His church. 
So it's God's people gathered together, so it's a meeting, to discuss and discern what God desires for His church. So under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, guided by His Word, it's God's people coming together to discern what He wants the church to do. And it's unique because it's different from any other kind of meeting that you could attend. It's different from a meeting at work. It's different from a civic club. It's different from any community organization because it's a unique gathering that is consisted uh, that consists of God's people, Christians, believers, people that have faith in Christ that have gathered together, men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit that are in the same place at the same time. Enjoying a unity that you cannot enjoy anywhere else. Unity of heart and mind by the Holy Spirit. See, we can go to a, a sporting event or we can go to a civic club and we can be united in a purpose or we can be united around an event. But only in the setting of a church can we come and actually be united in heart and spirit because of the Holy Spirit. It's a meeting where, not, where the majority doesn't rule, but it's the rule of the Lord Jesus And men and women gather together to listen, to hear his voice, and to respond. And we believe that God speaks to each of us. He speaks to you and he speaks to me because each of us has the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to open up his word and and read and understand. We have the, the ability to hear his voice. And we believe that every person has a part in that. Everybody has spiritual ears and eyes and we all are important to the body. And we trust God to to speak to each one of us as members. I remember um, early on when I was first here at Cross Timber in the, in the early 2000s, we began to, uh, to pray to select an unreached people group. Some of you were here and remember that. And, and there were posters around the sanctuary. And as we began to pray and listen and discern God's will, that, that number narrowed down. And it wasn't you know, one person standing up and saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to adopt these people. And they're a, a, a group that lives way up in the mountains of China and they're called the Nosu. No, as we met together and as we prayed, God began to narrow and show and focus and to show each of us what his will was. And we agreed upon that. And you see this in the book of Acts. It's full of these opportunities where the church gathered together and had meetings to discuss things, to decide things starts in the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, even before the Holy Spirit came, they had to choose another apostle to replace Judas. They had to choose leaders. Acts chapter 6 that we read, they select servants or early deacons to meet needs. In Acts chapter 13, they meet together because there's a need to send out missionaries. And as they meet together, they send out who? Saul and Barnabas. Acts chapter 15, there's a, a theological debate concerning the status of Gentile believers that needs to be decided, and so they they gather together. And so what did these meetings look like? What is the common theme that you can find in all of these meetings, and probably should be in our meetings as well? Um, The first thing you see there is there was a focus upon prayer. You see, prayer was more than just the bookends of the meeting. A lot of meetings you go to today, um, there's an open in prayer. They'll say, hey, brother so-and-so, why don't you open us up in prayer? There'll be a brief prayer. Then we get down to the business. We discuss and we make the decision. And then the closing of the meeting in many churches is, okay, God, this is what we decided. Bless what we decided. And we're going to leave. That's kind of the end. 
Well, the early church was a lot different. You see, prayer was the, the primary focus. They talked to God, they listened to God, and they had prayer at the very center of all of their day-to-day operations. Acts chapter 1, that story we looked at about selecting um, the, the leader, you know, the, the apostle. They were devoting themselves to prayer before they entered into that decision. In Acts chapter 6, after they chose those servants to serve the widows, they, they prayed and laid hands on them. In Acts chapter 13, verse 3, a little further in the book, it says, Then after, they, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them, Saul and Barnabas, and sent them off. And so you can see just through these few examples that prayer was a priority. It was important. And it got me to thinking, you know, just really honestly, is prayer a priority for, for me in my decision making? And is prayer important in the decision making of our church? You know, how often do we just settle for that good idea? You know, oh man, that sounds good. Or how often do we take the time to seek after God's ideas? Because a true belief in prayer, because, you know, I think a lot of times we have a profession that we say prayer is important, but I think true belief in prayer seeks after God instead of settling for our own ideas. God, what is your mind about this? God, what do you say about this? And it's, a, it's an attitude that really expects God to, to make things happen in the physical world. You know, I think if we really believe like some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that that God truly does answer prayers, He does work miracles, He does heal, He does make abundant provision in the midst of great neediness, I think that would drive us to pray more and more often. But I think we get too dependent on our own abilities, what we can come up with on our own and our own means, you know, what may or may not be in our our bank account or what may be a, a resource for us that we we don't trust in and put such put a great dependence on God. Because if we really did, I think what it would result in is that we would spend more and more of our time praying and less of our time doing other things. And so there is that basis of prayer. But there's also this foundation of scripture. That's the second thing. Both Acts chapter one and Acts fifteen reference scripture from the old testament in their meetings and in acts chapter six they see the priority of their decision is that so the apostles who were teaching them could spend more time in prayer and in ministry of the word or in another way of saying that is teaching the the scriptures and in acts 13 the decision that comes out of that to send out saul and barnabas is an outflow of a worship service. So it's kind of a, it's a worship service that flows immediately into a decision that is like a business meeting. And there was really no distinction between the two, and I don't, it doesn't even say they had a meal in between or an agenda. But anytime God's people gather together in His name, anytime, two or more is what Jesus said, His presence is with them, He's the one that's in control. And his word trains us and teaches us. And so it's essential that we place a great dependence on God's word when we come to a business meeting. That we're more focused on what does God want us to do than how do we operate according to Robert's rules of orders or what does necessarily the Constitution say. That the higher law, the law of 
love would reign over all things. That there would be a dependence on God's word. But we continue on. There also is a, the need to be led by the Spirit. You know, the book of Acts, and if you open your Bible to the heading, it probably says Acts of the Apostles there. And actually, if you think about it, what the book of Acts is, is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, who is working in the lives of the Apostles and the church to do some incredibly amazing things. In that story in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, they're worshiping. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... So they're worshiping and they're fasting. They're being obedient to God. Fasting always is united with praying. There's a seeking of God. And what happens? The Holy Spirit speaks very clearly because he says, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. There's not a call to find two volunteers in the audience, but there's a very specific calling upon these two men. And so under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the early church followed after God's will. And when they did, they saw him do amazing, incredible things. Jim Cimbala, who has pastored the Brooklyn Tabernacle for many, many years and um, has led his church um, as, as well as any man that I know under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, says this, we can easily settle for church Instead of God, in every succeeding generation shaped in that mold makes it harder for anyone to dare ask, where is the Lord? Without the Spirit, Christianity is reduced to head knowledge about God, empty traditions, and a social club mentality. But we have an incredible opportunity to not fall victim to those things and to understand that the things that we do, the things that we say... How we operate as a church are led by, guided by, empowered by the Spirit, and they are investments in growing His kingdom. As God reveals His ideas to us, His plans, as He shows us His power, we see that working in the life of the church, and that we are led by the Spirit. And as one man wrote, secular methods or ideas can never produce spiritual results. And so there was a dependence on the Spirit, but also we see that it involved the whole church. I love that phrase. The meetings were church meetings, not just a gathering of just a few people or some key influential leaders, or, but it was the whole church. Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we have the estimation there that there were about 120 people gathered together. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says that the when they were choosing the seven, it pleased the whole gathering. Acts chapter 13, it says the church was gathered together. The church in Antioch was gathered together worshiping. And in Acts chapter 15, after they've made this decision concerning Gentile Christians, it says it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. See, when God spreads an idea in a congregation, when God has a plan, when God has a will, it will become evident to the whole church. Even those that are, that are likely to, to be, you know, even there's those people that are, you know, that are reluctant to, to do anything, that are against everything. When God has an idea and bursts it in the church, it's going to be evident to everyone. And it's the whole church 
See, Jesus gave His authority, His power to His people, His church, not just a few people, not just a few men or a few women. Remember, He gave them the king, keys to the kingdom. And so when we gather together as a local congregation, you know, just like here and now, we have the authority of the King of Kings to do what God wants us to do to grow His kingdom in the place that we are in. And each member is important because we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're all granted equal access to the throne of grace. So you can hear God's voice and discern it. I can hear it. It's not, there's no need for a mediator because Jesus is our mediator because of the, the idea of the priesthood of the believer that we can seek God, hear His voice. And no one in this room has a, you know, a dedicated line that is more, um, you know, more important than the other. You know, no one here, his opinion is more important than the other. We all have that opportunity. And so those are some aspects of what the business meetings were like in the early church. But how can we love business meetings? Now, right now, there might be somebody thinking you really shouldn't even put love and meeting in the same sentence because the idea of loving a meeting, you know, regardless of what it is, I I remember um, at work when I worked at the bank, you know, I would hear, you know, we are going to have a meeting. And the two most important things I thought was, okay, what time does it start and when is it supposed to end? And, you know, and because if it started at 8, it was supposed to be at 8.30, I was always excited that we got started on time and we ended at time. And I would always become very frustrated about 8.29 when somebody who had 29 minutes to offer their opinion would raise their hand and say, I have a question. And it would be about something that, you know, they, they had slept through at the beginning. And inevitably that 8.30 time would go to 8.35 or 8.40. But, you know, meetings um, generally aren't something that people get fired up and excited about. But how can we do that? Because we've all had bad experiences in meetings. Maybe there's been times where we've experienced, um, you know, harsh words or attitudes, or maybe, you know, we've displayed some of those characteristics. Maybe it's because there's the the criticisms, the arguments, or other things. But I want to tell you there's another way. So what can we do? That's why we read in Colossians, because our motivation, the way that we operate in life, is supposed to be different because we're Christians. That's why in Colossians, Paul tells them that they need to put off their old self and to put on the new self, which is really the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we want to be ready for a business meeting, a church business meeting, or really life in general, we have to get dressed in the right clothes. We have to have the right attire. We have to put on the right things. So Paul gives us this list in Colossians chapter 3. And he tells us to put on, first of all, compassionate hearts. Now this word put on, I have to tell you, is not just casual, let me grab something and throw it on. It is an urgent plea to get dressed quickly. Best way I can think of to explain this is to think about a fireman who receives the fire alarm. They have a duty. They have to get into their fire protective clothing and get to the fire truck quickly. So the alarm goes off, they get dressed, and they're ready. So there's this sense of urgency. And so it's not a casual dressing, but it's an urgent plea to put on 
attributes that are represented in the Lord Jesus Christ to dress the right way. And the first thing is to have a compassionate heart. It's a heart that feels with, feels along with, and feels for other people. We see it in the life of Jesus when it said Jesus had compassion on the crowd and was because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. One man described it as a call to care enough to be involved and to help by taking action that will set others' lives on a fresh new course. I love that. To take some action that will set others' lives on a fresh new course. See, compassion may not be able to solve everyone's problems, but compassion rightly placed in a situation can set someone's life on a fresh new course, a new direction, can breathe hope into their life. Think about God when He shows His mercy for us. God, out of His great mercy, His abundant love, shows us love, and because we respond to that love, it sets our life on a new course. Now, all our problems may not be worked out, but we are definitely on the road and on the the pathway toward that. And so when we're compassionate, Remember this, God can use your actions, even things that you see as very small, to do the same thing for other people, to set their life on a different course. So there's compassion. Closely related to that is kindness. We need to put on kindness. It's a unique Christian response to other people. It is the exact and complete opposite of harshness. It's being ready to do good even when that good is not deserved. And we can do that with our words. We can speak kind words or we can offer kind actions. And those words and those actions can literally change the tone of a conversation, the attitudes in a a meeting, or can even transform a relationship. Kindness. Some of you may remember the Glenn Campbell song from 1969. You've got to try a little kindness. Do you remember that song? Try, you've got to show a little kindness. Just shine your light for everyone to see. And if you try a little kindness, then you'll overlook the blindness of narrow-minded people on the narrow-minded streets. Oh, in the day we live in, do God's people not need a greater dose of His loving kindness in our lives? Don't know if you saw that news story or not, but Cowboy game last week. Um, President, former President Bush was sitting next to Ellen DeGeneres in a in a box at the Cowboy game. Um, President Bush was harshly criticized because he had sat next to Ellen DeGeneres, who was the exact opposite of everything that he believed in. Christians, non-Christians, people spoke very harshly about the president. Said he had no. You know, reason to be doing that, and you, know, you didn't hear a lot of love, and yet the most loving Christian-like statement about acceptance and love came from Ellen DeGeneres. If you read or heard the quotes that she made, um, just the idea that loving acceptance of others is so important. And I thought, you know, if the church could get a hold of that idea, you know, if the church could really understand that we are called to love and we are called to give, perform acts of love toward people that are different, people we don't agree with, people that, 
you know, we think we can't associate with. What would God begin to do in transforming their lives and transforming this nation for our good? It starts with kindness. But rooted in that has to be humility. Humility is not considering yourself in any way superior to anyone else. It's not putting yourself down, but it's the idea that we raise up or elevate others. It's taking on that attitude of a servant. It's what Jesus pinpointed as the key to being great in the kingdom. And a humble person doesn't seek their own way, but they're open to meeting the needs of others. Charles Spurgeon defined it as trying not to be a big man. Humility. And humility many times involves meekness, which is strength channeled for the master's youth. Think about an animal, an ox or a donkey or a horse or something that has been domesticated, that has been broken under the the bit and the bridle to be used to plow. There is immense power that is controlled by a small bit and a small bridle redirected for the usefulness of the master it's the opposite of arrogance it's the opposite of self-assertiveness and we're reminded that jesus said it's the meek that will inherit the earth along with that comes patience that's that ability to show restraint to bear up under injury or insult without giving retaliation you know god is abundantly patient toward us and his patience second peter 3 9 says the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance so when we're patient when one another we allow room for god to to work we create space The root of that word means to be long-burning. So think of it just for a second, of the idea of something with a long fuse. You know, many of you probably know that someone who's an angry person, they say they have a short fuse. You know, you light it and it only takes a second before it goes off. So think about the idea of a long-burning fuse, something that takes a long time. And as J. Vernon McGee points out, as Christians, we should not be short fuse but we should have a long fuse bearing with other brothers and sisters and not being prone to snap judgments now the next two bearing with and forgiving are are the ways that we live out those things that we put on bearing with one another another way you could say that is to put up with each other I'm grateful for the people that are in my life that put up with me. And I'm sure that y'all are grateful for the folks around you that put up with you because we all have our our moments. It's making allowance for faults in others. Realizing that we're not always going to agree. And that from time to time we will get on each other's nerves. But because God bears with us, and he does abundantly, then we're obligated to bear with each other so we bear with one another then we forgive each other um byron paulus who is the executive director of life action ministries and that just gives me an opportunity to 
to let you know in, in November on the 9th and 10th for our ladies retreat, um, Donna Avant, whose husband, John, is the president of Life Action Ministries, um, will be here um, for our ladies retreat. Um, they travel all around the world, all around the United States, extensively working in churches to um, help churches um, in the area of revival and spiritual awakening. And this is what he says. After reaching out to more than 4 million believers in 6,000 churches during the past four decades, our team of revivalists would unanimously concur that the number one problem they encounter in all these churches is unforgiveness. Bitterness, he says, is rampant. Forgiveness is not. See, a Christian is a forgiving person, and unforgiveness is not Christian. And when we forgive, we literally, and we live, we literally, it means to give freely and unconditionally a gift of grace that is undeserved. And God forgives us graciously and abundantly. And He's not willing to be satisfied with you and I just simply putting up with others. You know, and, and we've all said that from time to time, you know, you know, and God forbid we don't get to the point where we say, I'll never forgive that person, but we do get that place sometimes. But sometimes we just kind of get in this place where we haven't really forgiven them, but we're not really like burning with anger for them and we just kind of put up with it. And as long as we're not thinking about them, we've assumed that, you know, it'll just go away over time, but we really haven't made a declaration, a choice to forgive. But God calls us to forgive. And it's not because we're good enough that we can forgive, but it's like His forgiveness in our lives, that He forgave my sin and your sin that motivates us, that empowers us, that allows us to forgive others. And so like Paul says, we forgive other people because God forgave us. And we forgive others whether they accept it or whether they even, we feel like they deserve it or not. And then he says, we wrap all of this up in love. That love goes on top of all of these other virtues. That it is what binds them all together. Jesus is very clear. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is love. It's the mark that people know that we are disciples by our love. And when you let love lead, when you let love be the most, the highest motivation in your life, loving others because God loves you, then these other things, this compassion, this kindness, this meekness, this humility, bearing with one another, they fall into place. And what happens is when everyone comes dressed in the right clothes, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love, then everyone present can love a church business meeting. Because our hearts will be tuned to God's voice. Our hearts will be gathered together, knit together in His love, and we create an environment to hear Him speak and to lead us. I really believe that we can love church business meetings. I really believe the people that aren't here this morning, maybe they're on vacation or maybe they knew we were having a business meeting, that they can love 
church business meetings. Because from time to time, from week to week, here's what happens when we have a meeting. There's people who don't stay. There's people that have no intention of staying. They'll come to the worship service and as soon as we dismiss, it's, they're out the door because it's a business meeting. I don't do meetings. I don't like meetings. I don't have time. I've got something else to do. Or maybe the Cowboys are playing, but they're not playing until three today. So we have plenty of time. Then there's others who've been to a meeting and they say they don't really want to come back. If this is what they're like, I don't want to come back. I'm not making this up. I'm not building some kind of straw man so I can create some kind of case. Actually, if people have said that. I think there's probably people that stay, not necessarily because they want to, but because they feel like they have to out of a duty. And then I think there's also some that just have no problem at all. They're, they're here and they're happy. But here's the goal. Here's the end game. That when we come together for a meeting, for a church business meeting, that we would have as many members as are able to gather together, joyfully gather together to discuss and discern what God desires for Cross Timber. Here's my hope. We have a worship service, we have a meal, and then we continue on a worship service. And during that worship service, oh my goodness, what happens is we have an agenda. (laughs) And during that agenda, we happen to discuss things that are important in the life of the church. But the same sweetness of attitude that started with the family God stays all the way through to the end of the meeting when somebody finally says, I make a motion that we adjourn. And when we put on the right clothes, it's something that we could have. Where joy and fellowship would be present, we could focus on Jesus and his word. We could be interested in what he, God wants us to do. We could be seeking after God's will. I love the, the story in Second Chronicles chapter 20 about Jehoshaphat because I love the honest declaration of Jehoshaphat when he says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. How many times do we find ourselves in that position? When we come together in a business meeting, we just say, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, and we trust you to faithfully show us. Before we pray, I want to read a quote I found. It's at the bottom of your bulletin notes. It'll be on the screen. And I hope it's something you'll hang on to, that you'll contemplate, you'll refer back to, and you'll think of. Maybe... um, Keep it in your Bible and read it on the morning that you know we're having a business meeting. But listen to this. It's written by um, a British pastor named Tony Payne. And he says this. My role in church is not to be a critic who assesses the different aspects of the meeting, but a lover who cares more about other people and their growth than my own preferences or needs. My role is to listen to God's word and respond with a soft and humble heart. To pray that God's Spirit would be at work in my heart and those around me. And to encourage and build those around me by everything I say and do. Lord, help us to love you. Lord, help us to love others. Lord, help us to love one another. And Lord, show us through your truth how we can love church business meetings. We pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we are gathered here today. We're thankful for your presence with us. We're thankful for your willingness to teach us, to guide us, and to help us to know the way. And God, when we we look at things that are 
exciting and comfortable, we say thank you and we look at some things that are that are necessary and not necessarily comfortable. We're thankful for that too. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us in this moment. Give us teachable hearts and teachable spirits because God, what we desire is to be a body that is known for our love for you, known for our love for others, known for our love for one another, and that loves to be together. Lord, whether that's fellowship, whether that's worship, or whether that's business, if we should even call it business. Lord, I pray you would help us and teach us, guide us, mold us, show us. Lord, I thank you that you're the one that creates a new heart in us. And Lord, I thank you from that new heart that you enable us to do things that are far beyond what we could ever do ourselves. And Lord Jesus, I pray today that if there's someone that has just recognized the the absence of love in their life, that they would realize that you are the one that gives love. And that of your great love for, for them and the great love for all of us that you gave your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be Savior. And that today can be the day of salvation, the day of experiencing your great love. And to live a life that is abundant and full. So Lord, we thank you for this day. We ask you to speak to us as we sing. We invite you to work in our lives and our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.